Welcome to Black Family Table Talk. We are your hosts, Tony and Tony. Listen in weekly as we discover ways to build a strong black family. What are we going to discuss today, Tony? Well, today we're going to talk about how to get your kids in college. Wow, I am so excited about this subject. It is probably my favorite when it comes to parenting. So, you want to tell a story? I will share a story about encouraging a love of learning. One of the things that I think is what we experienced raising our four children is encouraging them to absolutely love learning. And that's a fine line to walk because that means that as a parent, you have to really be involved with your children at school. So one of the things that I've realized very early, we have a lot of influence in our children. Mm-hmm. The influence wanes or diminishes as they get older. But when they're early, when when they're young, you really have a lot of influence. So when you're engaged with them from very early, I'm talking about from in utero, and to me that includes uh, breastfeeding and talking to them in the womb, just giving them that attention. I believe that that influence stretches over time and being engaged, knowing their teachers, developing relationships with their teachers is critical because they know if you have a relationship with their teacher, they don't live double lives because they know you can talk to the teacher and you observe their behavior at home. The teacher observes their behavior at school. The story I like to share is one time I showed up at our oldest son's class and the teacher had a guitar. I showed up, it was a random visit. And I know some schools don't encourage it, but the school that they attended did. did so that, I did sh- I did that a lot. I wanted them to know that I could show up at any time and they wouldn't know it. So I showed up at the school and the teacher was there and he was playing a guitar for the kids. And I came in and, and I had a relationship with the teacher and I said, oh, I didn't know you played the guitar. So he looked at me, he said, Miss Henson, you play the guitar? So I said, yeah, I do. I play the guitar. So my son looked shocked because he was like, I know you don't play the guitar, mom. What are you doing? So I got up in front of the classroom and I just strummed. I mean, it was just like there was a little turtle who lived in a box. He swam in a puddle. He climbed on the rocks. And I sung that song and the class, he was in sixth grade. No, he was in fifth grade. The class fell out on the floor. And then I left. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> and he laughed too. I mean, first he was embarrassed, but then when he got over it, he saw the reaction. It was hilarious. So I think that that's important to engage kids and let them be fun and excited about about learning and figuring out ways to make them learn and be excited about education. And I believe that education can happen inside the classroom and outside the classroom. So. That's a very lighthearted and fun story. I appreciate that story. Uh, the story I want to talk about is the time we decided to transition from New Jersey to Georgia. Our children in New Jersey attended a Blue Ribbon School District, Hopewell Township, Mercer County, New Jersey. And as we were moving to Georgia, we were trying to find a place to live 
And I remember asking you the question, well, Georgia's a pretty big state. How do we know where to move and put our children in school? We wanted to live in the metro Atlanta area. And I give you all the credit because you made an excellent choice. Based on your research, I was very impressed about you were looking at the stats to determine where our children should go. And one of the things you were looking at was SAT score. That was one. Two, you were looking at diversity. Because in New Jersey, it was majority white. I remember when our kids were in elementary school, there were seven black kids in school and four more hours. Yeah. So as we were transitioning to Georgia, we were looking for something a little bit different. Diversity. And you found a school district that had high SAT scores, great number of African-American students, Latino students, other, along with Caucasian white students as well. So it was a nice combination. And you looked at how well the school prepared their students for SAT. Now, the very next stat that you looked at was the critical one, which was how well did the African-American students do in comparison to everyone else? Absolutely. That was important. Because we wanted to make sure, although the school was great, that they were teaching the African-American students and they were learning as well along with the other students and they were not being taught at. A lot of schools you can go to, the schools are great, but the African-American students fall behind yeah. or trail the average of the school. Yeah. And that was critical. And we looked at two school districts, Parkview School District and Brookwood School District. And once we identified the school district, then we had to find a home. And that's how we ended up moving to the Brooklyn School District. Yeah, turned out top 1,000 high school in the country. I wanted to make sure that our kids, for one, since they had been in a predominantly white environment, I didn't want them, because there are some excellent all-black schools in the metro Atlanta area, uh, especially some private schools like Kip Academy and some others that have garnered national attention. But what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to put them in culture shock, moving them from a predominantly white environment to an all black environment. So I was very sensitive to that. So what, what fared well for me was putting them in a district where there was a large percentage of African-Americans and for Brookwood High School, it was 25%. And it was also a huge percentage of Asian-Americans and um, Hispanics as well as whites. So we found out later that Gwinnett County is the most diverse county in the country, that there are 165 languages spoken here. It's an incredibly culturally rich. It's, it's a great place to raise a child. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and they were they were kicking and screaming yeah, for the move, but I think they realized in the end this was the best thing for them, yeah. based on the opportunities they received. Yes, yes. Uh, what are you most passionate about when it comes to um, the subject of children and education? I'm I'm passionate about. This is what I used to. I, let me start over. This is what I used to tell our kids: You go to school to learn. You don't go to school to play. I want to stress to them that school is a place of learning. So when you get there, you have to be prepared and you have to be engaged. So that's what I'm passionate about, is making sure our 
our kids were prepared for school. And we did a lot of things to prepare them. Field trips, cultural events, a lot of travel. Not everybody was able to do it, but we made the sacrifice. And I think that cultural experience helped broaden our children's mind and that helped them in the classroom by seeing other cultures, visiting other places, seeing how the people live, gave them opportunity to appreciate what they have. And then, and we didn't have a lot, but what we had, we made it work. I remember espousing the philosophy that we don't want to give them things, we want to give them experiences. Absolutely. So our budget was geared towards creating experiences for them rather than giving them things. And I'd rather take them to Jamaica. I'd rather get them to experience other country, countries and cultures. Like our youngest son went to Kosovo in Eastern Europe and he spent three weeks. Our daughter went to Scotland. Another daughter went to Paris. Another daughter went to our other Peru. daughter went to Peru in high school. So we thought it was important for them to ex use their summers to expand their vision and incorporate it. Education wasn't, wasn't a dirty word. It was something to be embraced and that they understood that learning was fun. And I also think that what we got right was the no television during the week. They could not watch television Monday through Thursday. They can watch it a couple of hours, but they had to be off by, I think it was three o'clock or four o'clock on Sunday. Sunday. After church, they could watch it for a couple of hours, and then after that, get ready no, for the school year. I mean, the school. so yeah. What would you do differently, if, if anything? Well, I think it's important to say that all three of the four of our our kids went to college. The oldest one went to the United States Naval Academy on, a, of course, that's a full scholarship. The second one received a presidential scholarship at. Spelman, and that was a full ride. The third one received a uh, partial scholarship. I think it was like 50% scholarship at Hampton University uh, for a five-year master's program. She had to maintain a 3.2 GPA. And then the fourth one who did not go to college was accepted to five college. And again, we'll share his story later. Um, he was our adopted son, so he has some challenges. And we'll share his story in, in a later podcast. Describe some of the things we did to prepare them for their journey to college. I remember the thing that was most important to me was encouraging them to love school. And I remember when they were in elementary school in New Jersey, that was the perfect situation because there was a principal there who was absolutely phenomenal. And he had created the school and he ran it like a private school. It was a brand new school that was built. We were in that district. Dr. Fitzpatrick. He had a progressive philosophy about all inclusivity. And even though the school wasn't diverse, I can tell you that he embraced diversity and he loved the kids. And he had incorporated all of the philosophies of, of, of school. Like he had the walls painted blue because he understood that Blue was a soothing, calming on the psyche of a child. He piped in classical music because he understood that classical music stimulates brain and thinking cells. Mm. He made sure that the, the children ate lunch and breakfast and those needs were cared for. So he believed in, and I had a really good relationship with him, but he, he believed in educating the whole child. They had family nights and having parents come in 
and be engaged. And so his philosophy was really the foundation for what we we started building our philosophy mm-hmm. and encouraging our kids to become lifelong learners. Right. I remember and that. And the children were inspired. The teachers that he hired were the best. Mm-hmm. And they were happy there. It's when they went to middle school and then on to high school that yeah. we started to have challenges. That's a very good point. I, I, you know, I really forgot about that. And I think choosing the right school plays a big part. And you just described how great the elementary school was for our children. Yeah. So I, I would actually actually say that it's not always on the parent, it's also on the school, and finding that that partnership between the school and the parents is very critical to getting your, your, your children, your kids ahead. Well, let me ask you this question. We, we, we were blessed because we, we lived in a particular neighborhood, Blue Ribbon School District. Right. What would you say for parents who doesn't have that option mm-hmm. and they live in a different setting that may be a little bit more challenging, overcrowding in schools. What what are some of the things you think you can suggest or help supplement some of the things that are offered at the school? It's not a Blue Ribbon School District. They may have some other issues they deal with, with lack of books and supplies and some challenges they have to overcome. What's some of your ideas for, for help, helping them? I think that parents who live in communities with poor schools, those are the areas where voting is the most critical. Two things, voting and filling out the census. They give, they distribute money based on population statistics from the federal government to, and allocate resources based on populations. I think that's the number one thing, filling out the census. Number two, being involved in schools. I think the quality of an education, you don't have to have the best books. You can have you have access to technology. So it really is leadership in the schools and empowering the teachers to do their jobs, requiring that they do their jobs, and being a partner with the schools. I think we can get it done. We don't need a lot of money to get it done. I think we can get it done. I think parents, they're so bogged down with in our communities, they're so bogged down with the other ills. I think we need to support families better, which is the reason why we started this podcast. We need to make this country a family-friendly community. I agree. So we need to, to we need to elect officials that are supportive of families, care more about providing quality education than they do quote unquote law and order. Because that's the key to saving our communities, uh, having schools that are friendly places that empower children. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I will add, and, and you did mention this, voting. We have to, as the African-American community as a whole, and that's why i so impressed with what's going on today with Black Lives Matters. We are waking up and we are taking charge of our lives. And part of that is demanding things change when it comes to systemic racism. Because educational systems, school districts receive their funding from property taxes. So if you're in a community that has a strong tax base and you have funding, let me just tell a story. I remember working in, when I worked for a state of New Jersey and there was funding to build schools. They had an authority, school development authority, and every community had the opportunity to use the school development authority. But what was different was if you were building 
a school and an urban setting in an inner city, you got the same amount of money if you were building a school in a suburban neighborhood. But the difference was the suburban neighborhoods could increase their taxes for the additional amenities, swimming pool, mm. windows, all the other bells and whistles that come with the suburban setting of a school. Mm. Now the school that was built in the inner cities, they were they looked like prisons. Mm. You you maybe had one window on the side of the of the of the building, Mm. so you didn't have any natural light or anything like that. So that is something that has to change Mm -hmm. when it comes to funding schools. Mm -hmm. Every every school district should get the same amenities, Mm -hmm. regardless of property taxes. Mm -hmm. Have to come up with a different formula, Mm -hmm. and that's why voting is important Mm -hmm. because we have to elect officials that have the courage yes. and the fortitude to want to change that formula. Yes. I think the most important vote you can make is a school board vote. And that's probably the lowest turnout. So um, I can't wait till next week when we dive deeper into more about how do you get your kids to go to college. This is just part one and we're just... Just getting started. Yeah. Very good, Tony. Black Family Table Talk. That's what's up. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Black Family Table Talk. We pray that you heard some principles to put into your strong Black Family toolbox. Be sure to tune in next week and remember, sharing is caring. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and visit our website at blackfamilytabletalk.com. Look for special discounts and ways to be part of the Black Family Table Talk community. As a part of our mission to do our part to strengthen Black families, we endorse small Black-owned businesses. This is our way of strengthening Black families economically. This week's Small Black Business Spotlight is on Shea Shea La Femme Shea Butter. It's the best shea butter I've ever tried, and it comes in a variety of fragrances. Just visit our website at blackfamilytabletalk.com and you'll see a special link for a 20% discount. Under Section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976, allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comments, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that may otherwise be infringing. The news and opinions expressed on Black Family Table Talk do not necessarily reflect various platform posts. All type topics are for entertainment purposes only. Discretion is strongly advised and all commentary is alleged. This is a Micah 68 Media LLC production.